And welcome to the Forgotten Football Clubs podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Phil, for this episode, episode seven. And as always, I am here with Rory. What's up, Rory? I'm good, Phil. How's yourself? I'm good, I'm good. Um, it's only me and you this time uh, after our last two episodes uh, with, with our special guests on. Um, so I suppose the listeners just have to grin and bear it. But uh, we, yeah, we have to... to uh, have to um, put up with us all cosy in the house because uh, the weather and um, in the places where we stay um, across the across the channel is absolutely terrible and it's absolutely lashing down outside. So um, mm. I'm in I'm in my jammies, cozied up in bed to be honest. So <laughs> yeah, I have a cup of tea here. Uh, just finished work. Um, nice and warm. Uh, looking out at the at the yeah the lashing rain here. Uh, in Dublin, as usual, you know it's April, <laughs> April weather, April weather. But April um, weather. the two clubs that were that are going to feature today, um, probably don't have that problem, Rory, <laughs> <laughs> or didn't suppose, have that problem. Well, I, I, I suppose so because we're going to be going to some of the um, some of the sunnier parts of the world for the the, the climate's a bit nicer. Um, and uh, well, I mean, and and one one of the clubs anyway, maybe comes from a country where there's there's it's maybe extremes where you know you've got um, absolutely blistering heat and then torrential rains one minute with the other. The other country that is quite well known for um, for its sunshine and golden beaches, etc., etc., etc. So um, we'll get into that. But just before we do, how's your week been, Phil? All good? All good, all good. Um, a bit of a bit of bit of exciting news, uh, as far as with, with the book and the podcast, uh, with a few things uh, lined up. Uh, as far as you want to use the podcast to let people know, Rory. Um, that me and yourself will be on another podcast uh, called They Think Kids All Over. You have yes. to kind of say it in a certain way. So we will be appearing on that um, soon enough. Um, there's also a, an article coming out uh, in a, a football magazine called The Late Tackle that I wrote myself. It's about the book uh, and just basically uh, kind of synopsis of it and uh, other forgotten clubs. And then only recently we've been told that... Um, I will be featuring on BBC Lancashire uh, doing a little uh, interview there as well. So uh, it's all go uh, in regards to Forgotten Football Clubs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, it's good. It's um, it's nice to nice to get recognition for your work. Um, and you know, I think the, the the radio thing's big as well. The fact that they reached out and they wanted to get in touch with you. So, um, if you're from Lancashire, or even if you just want to tune into BBC Radio Lancashire, please tune in when Phil's on. Um, to talk about that, obviously Lancashire. Uh, if you're talking about, you know, maybe not so much forgotten football clubs, but if you're talking about um, the kind of early foundations of football in England, and you're talking about clubs popping up kind of overnight, and then some of them having to fold, and and some of the early pioneers of the game in England, um, then Lancashire is is really the place to be, isn't it? It is indeed. Uh, I can think. I can think of a few, uh, a few football clubs from there. But I, I think I'll save that for the interview. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the knowledge, uh, which will be coming up soon enough, um, and we will let everybody know our followers on Twitter, Instagram, uh, when that will be. But uh, back to current times. Uh, stop bigging ourselves up and uh, back to what this is all about, Rory. Uh, the football clubs that uh, feature in the book uh, and. The clubs that we're going to uh, talk about today are La Paz of Bolivia, uh, which is chapter 11 of the book. Uh, quite an interesting story. Um, I'm going to tell that story. And Rory, what's the club you've chosen? 
So I am going Northwest Sydney Spirit FC, um, one of the Australian clubs featured in the book. Uh, formerly, they, they kind of rose out of the ashes of the defunct Northern Spirit FC um, and on their club badge of the, the NWS Spirit, if you want to call them that. And the club badge, there are two lovely koalas holding the football. So, yeah, that's going to be quite fun. We're going going exotic this week. Um, we're going to the, the far corners of the world searching for um, football clubs that aren't there anymore. So, don't know what that says about us, but I'm sure the listeners will enjoy it nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, far and wide, uh, it is across the world, so uh, we might as well stick to it. Uh, so, <laughs> I'll start off with La Paz FC from Bolivia. Bolivia, of course, a South American country. Uh, most people will know it for having a, a high altitude. Uh, and basically, that's one of the reasons why I picked La Paz. And uh, as I tell the story, uh, that will be one of the features that stands out. So La Paz Football Club uh, was founded on the 30th of May uh, 1989. So, you know, we're not going back too far. Uh, under the name Atletico Gonzalez. Uh, so that's what they were originally known as. Uh, let's go, Gonzalez. When, when I when I actually first looked at it, it kind of sounded like an actual name of a like a South American footballer. To be honest, well, um, I, I, think but, it's um, quite, um, I think it's quite common in South America for um, teams to to have names that, that, that kind of sound similar to um, people or are named after people. So I think it's well. In, this club was named after somebody, Rory. Oh, where they um, it was, Yeah. It was named after the founder, uh, the owner, and the president, uh, Mauricio Gonzalez, named the club after his father, Walter oh, Gonzalez. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, because there's um, a club from Chile called uh, General Velasquez. Um, mm-hmm. It should have been named after a, a general called Velasquez. And there's also a team from Argentina called Almirante Brown. Uh, who I think was named after a founder or, you know, someone quite close to them. I don't know an awful lot about those clubs, so um, please go and research them yourselves if you want more information than that. But uh, obviously it's a little bit different to, to how European clubs are named, but I think it makes them stick out a bit more. Uh, I think it makes them sound quite cool, actually. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's a lot of names, uh, especially in Bolivian football, that, that kind of stick out. Uh, I suppose we'll, we'll go through them later on in, in this chapter because they do... Uh, they do appear it, but um, we'll talk about Mauricio, uh, um, Mauricio Gonzalez, the owner, later on because he does feature a little bit in this book. Another bit of a, <clears throat> a character or um, another uh, eccentric owner, maybe we can say. Um, but um, basically, they were a club uh, that he wanted to have playing competitive football in La Paz, which is a big city in Bolivia. Uh, the club itself wore red and blue um, that emulated the Spanish club Barcelona. So already you're seeing uh, European football kind of uh, um, having an influence on South American football. Uh, as I said, remember, this club was only founded in 1999. So Barcelona would have been a well-known uh, you know, club back then, even back in 1989. Football did begin before 1992, of course. Um but um, they also, uh, the colours also, you see, this is the other thing, Rory, uh, in, in regards to colours and stuff like that in uh, South American clubs. They all have a meaning. They, they, they all mean something. Like, so, um, say, yellow and blue of Boca Juniors uh, was because apparently 
the first uh, flag they saw um, was uh, from a Swedish boat or something like that. Yeah, um, like, yeah that, that sounds about right. It's, um, it's, it's interesting, and I like all of this kind of context too, because, you know, obviously with... With our clubs, the, the cause of more sometimes are based on preference, sometimes are based on, well, what's unique. Sometimes it is because a bit more of the club's history. Um, mm. But I just quite like how with most, if not all, South American clubs, you can really properly find like a meaning behind why they choose to do certain things with the club, like why the badge is designed the way it is or the things that are on it or the colours and stuff. Like I, I just think it's fantastic. It, it, it really shows like a passion for the game that I think sometimes you can forget clubs here have sometimes. Yeah, like I mean the colours, as I said, they did emulate Barcelona. I'm sure that was uh, was a little bit of a thought uh, behind <laughs> it. But also there was more of an in-depth uh, meaning to it. Uh, basically, um, each colour represented something. Uh, so red symbolised the club's passion and love for sport. I, I didn't know red was a, a kind of signal for love for sport, but there you go. There you um, well, the blue represented the blue skies over the city of La Paz, as well as showing the loyalty of their fans. That's quite deep, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I like it. It's, it's uh, poetic almost. Um, and it really, it, I know it's, it, it maybe sounds a bit cheesy and, and whatever, and, you know, I, I try and look at things from a realistic perspective, but you, you kind of think to yourself, like, this is what, from a from a European perspective anyway, a footballing perspective, if you like, this is what South American football is all about. It's all about the romanticism of it, isn't it? It's all about the passion and these absolutely mm. crazy fans and, and all that kind of stuff. So, love it. Love it. Yeah, yeah. A, a little bit calmer was the white uh, that was in the, their, their third uh, kit. Um, or their away kit, pardon me, not the third kit. Uh, the white symbolised the snowy mountain tops of Mount uh, Illimani. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, <laughs> so there, there you go. I mean, uh, a lot of meanings, a lot of in-depth stuff there. And we're only after the first paragraph <laughs> of this story. <laughs> uh, so it just gets, uh, it does tell you uh, that, you know, as Rory said there, South American football is full of passion, is full of loyalty, is full of... Um, that kind of uh, jazz, um, and it, it was always, uh, and it kind of was always surprising uh, when I did find a club that, you know, had gone bust in South America. Um, it was rarely to do with, you know, fans not turning up and stuff like that. Um, but they, this club, they played at the Hermando uh, Sills Stadium in La Paz, uh, a location that has been the centre of dispute Um basically because of the high altitude. Uh, it's it's known as one of the highest altitude or highest uh, points where a stadium is situated in the world. Um, were you aware of that, Rory? Um, I wasn't aware of that, no. Now, I know, obviously, within the, the Copa Libertadores, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, again, pronunciation, um, within... The, the South American Champions League, basically. If any if any of our listeners have ever watched South American football, uh, especially continental football, and um, teams from you know like Argentina or Brazil or Chile have to travel to Bolivia, more often than not they struggle because of the high altitude. Their players aren't used to it, and it does actually take an effect on the players. So I was aware of that aspect of it, but I wasn't aware that La Paz and this particular stadium were actually um, at the highest potential 
point of altitude did you sorry was it in the world or is it on the continent or no no in the world it's uh, in fact recorded the highest point at which football is played in a stadium uh, in the world now fantastic um i i remember hearing about this before even uh, touch on the past i remember hearing because i remember uh like when argentina or brazil or anything went to bolivia and they used to get poor results they, they draw nil all and stuff I remember thinking how are Argentina and Brazil you know Messi's and, and all this kind of going to Bolivia and not, and not blowing them away uh, yeah many many players including the, the great Messi have uh, complained about how high it is now I don't know if he's complained uh, I do know that other national teams and other football clubs who have had to play there have uh, said that it gives Bolivia uh, the national team um, an actual unfair advantage uh, when playing yeah. there for them. Um, nah, don't, the, buy uh, don't buy it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, one, it's one that, you know, it, it's an easy way out if you don't get the results there, put it that way. Yeah, um, but La Paz, La Paz uh, took advantage of it. I suppose they did take advantage of it. And they actually had a club motto. Uh, now, <laughs> like you, Laurie, my, my uh, South American or, or whatever language uh, they, they speak, this could be Spanish or or Portuguese, but um, their motto, their club motto was Plu Alus, uh, which means, which translate into, what do you think it translates into, Roddy? I'll give you, I'll give you, go on, have a guess. Oh, I, I don't know. Alus. Uh, I don't know any Spanish whatsoever. I've got absolutely <laughs> no idea. <laughs> right. Oh, well, it means higher. Higher, okay. Higher and so, higher and higher, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it has a double kind of meaning there. The, the club are ambitious, so they aimed high, but also they were playing high. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it, 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 maybe they're just taking the piss. Um, who knows? But um, it wasn't until two uh, twenty or pardon me, two thousand and three that the club finally uh, got promotion to Liga del Football Professional. Boliviano, uh, which is the Premier League of Bolivian football, um, the top division of their pyramid. Uh, they did that by winning the Simon Bolivar Cup, a competition for clubs from around the country aiming to gain entry into the top flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so La Paz defeated a club called Real Santa Cruz in the final. Uh, the first leg was tied uh, to all, and then La Paz um, with a lead uh, took a lead in the second half. Sorry, took the lead uh, in the first game. My mind, my mind is gone because the names here are. This name is quite um, not very Spanish. <laughs> Rodney uh, Purcell <laughs> um, scored uh, for them. Um, I mean, I, I looked into this right. Um, when I was researching it, because you know, when 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 I'm researching these and, and these type of names kind of pop up, and that one just kind of stood out to me. But he, he is from Bolivia, um, and I couldn't really find I couldn't really find the backstory to it. Um, but I'm sure there definitely is one. Uh, so if anybody out there has has any notion of who Rodney uh, Parcel is, uh, please do try to get in contact with us. Um, I'm not holding much hope, <laughs> um, but uh, you never know. Um, but uh, as I said, they, they, they gained promotion into the Bolivian um, uh, Premier Premier Division, we'll, we'll call it. We're not going to use the full name again. Um, and yeah, uh, basically it was the first time in their history. So from 1989, uh, it took them, what, 
2003. What's that? My math isn't great. 
uh, closing clause era, mm. and then there's like a, a, a there's like a middle clause era, but it's not called middle clause era. It's usually called something like the winter tournament or something like that. Um, yeah. But uh, forgive me if if any listeners. You know, obviously, we, we encourage listeners to connect us throughout the throughout the podcast yeah. um, that we put up, so that we can learn from it as well, and, and so that we're not um, doing any leagues or countries injustice. But I think in Argentina they play the Apertura and then the Clausura or something along those lines. Yeah. Where, yeah, I, but again, I, I don't know, and, and I know it's a bit different for South American companies, but kind of similar to the MLS, where they have the entire league table for one half of the season and then the other half of the season is split into smaller groups or something because, you know, so, so it, is a, it is a bit complex and I can imagine Bolivia might be quite similar. Well, we're, we're, it, it was it was quite uh, complex and we're now going to go into uh, even more comple- complexity uh, okay. because in 2005, 2006, the season started league format change. Right. Um, so Bolivia, Bolivian FA or Bolivian uh, football authorities thought, you know what, we're going to change all this. Uh, but it wasn't to make it any easier <laughs> to follow. Um, basically, this this is this is what it was. Already, I'll, I'll just go through it quickly. Um, there were the the adaptation tournament, the opening tournament, okay. and the closing tournament. Right. Right. So okay. the adaptation tournament was a simple league format where each team played each other home and away. Simple enough. Um, 12 teams competed and the winner would qualify for the 2006 Copa Libertadores as uh, the number one ranked Bolivian club um, La Paz weren't the number one ranked uh, Bolivian club that year in 05-06 they came 7th so 7th out of 12 uh, not too bad I suppose um, but they were nowhere near qualifying for the Copa Libertadores um, the next one is the opening tournament, which was two group was which was a two group format, and um, Group A and Group B again sounds simple, and um, both groups uh, consisted of the six teams, so there's twelve clubs in all and uh, competing in these three tournaments, and um, with the top three in each group qualifying for an extra mini tournament called the hexagonal final, so this is a tournament within a tournament, <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. So uh, each team would play each other home and away uh, with the team who came out top winning the title and qualification for the 2007 Copa Libertadores, okay? So the seasons are, how to put it, it, it's like a never-ending kind of thing really in South America. They kind of go on from like, I don't want to say September because sometimes they all change. Like they, they did change quite regularly. But just imagine they'd start in September and then they'd have like these three tournaments, as I said, throughout the season. And it wouldn't end until about sometimes July, like and, and some, some of the some of the stats that I looked at. So you're looking at a a ten month season, really. Yeah, maybe, maybe and I, think, um, I think depending on obviously how far you get in cup runs and how you do it in the Continental Tournament. I think some seasons in Brazil can last from January all the way until December. Um, mm. And that covers... Because in Brazil, you obviously have the league. You have the Brazilian Cup. You have the Copa Libertadores. And you have 
the state championships in Brazil as well, which a lot of the big clubs don't like because they think it, it congests a fixture schedule. They're playing against smaller teams. Again, I think it's a bit of an excuse, but that's just me and, and my views on that. But they can be very, very, very long seasons. Yeah, no, they can. Um, I mean, La Paz actually done well in this one. Um, they came second only to uh, Bolivar. Um, they didn't lose a game and they qualified for the hexagon for uh, the hexagonal final um, where they finished fourth in the group. So they've done all right. Um, and I suppose they would have been feeling confident going into the final tournament, um, as, as you would after doing so well. Um, so in the closing tournament that year, it has the same format as the opening tournament with all 12 clubs competing against each other twice, uh, home and away uh, with the top team um, after 22 games declared the champion. Um, unfortunately for La Paz, it wasn't, it wasn't a great one. Uh, they finished 12th out of the 12 clubs. So um, maybe that, that, that middle tournament, uh, the, the opening tournament, it, it might have taken its toll on them. Um, but they didn't get relegated. Um, and, and in fact, they finished eighth. So like you were saying, like in the MLS, uh, they'd have their kind of like East and Western uh, leagues and then they'd have the overall. Same in Bolivia, uh, they'd have all these three tournaments, but through the three tournaments, they would calculate up who would, who would finish where in the overall. And the Paz finished eight out of 12 uh, in the overall that season, which is, you know, not too bad, to be fair. Yeah, it's, it's all right. Um, it's, um, it's, it's okay. It's okay. It meant that they were they didn't get relegated, put it that way. Um, they were playing in the top division again. Um, I mean, that that's kind of like, I, I don't want to keep going on about the different, you can read it in the book. Um, it, it's easier to read uh, than actually like talk about these kind of uh, leagues and stuff like that. So you can read in the book about the opening tournament, the closing tournament, and how they, how they did uh, relatively um, well and badly in some seasons. Uh, because if I if I just kept explaining to you here now, I think I think we'd get lost in trans- <laughs> translation, to be honest. Um, but we'll, we'll fast forward to the exciting bits, I suppose, uh, that people listen into, and why La Paz aren't around anymore, basically. Um, so there, there were a club that, you know, they weren't world beaters. They weren't uh, anything of the sort. They weren't a club that you know dominated for years um, or anything like that. Um, but they, they were the club that, that put their name on the football map. Uh, simply, you know, the big one was, you know, the high altitude and where they were playing. Now, as you can, as, as we've spoken about already, you know, teams did uh, make excuses when they went and lost um, against La Paz when they went up and played against them. Um, but it got so, so dramatic that clubs actually were trying to get La Paz thrown out of Boliv- uh, the Bolivian uh, Football League uh, or at least get them out of that stadium and playing at a lower altitude. Now, I'm not up, up, on, up to date on my Bolivian um, geography. I don't know <laughs> what the lowest altitude would have been in Bolivia. But obviously, uh, these teams were saying, look, they can't play at that high. Um, and this is where their, their owner... Uh, came in. He he became a kind of a um, how to put it, an advocate of clubs playing at playing at high altitude. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a strange uh, it's a strange corner to fight in, but I'm all for it. 
Yeah, it was a hill that he was prepared to die on. Um, and he he continuously fought this battle to make sure that La Paz never lost that advantage. He didn't see it as an advantage. Well, maybe he probably did. Maybe secretly he thought it was an advantage. But he basically saw it as something unique that La Paz needed to hold on to because it gave them a kind of... Um, uh, it gave them a kind of... Um, I kind of get what you're trying to say. It gives them an edge and it gives them a bit yeah. of an advantage, but it gives them a, a unique component about it as well. Now, not that, it's, not that this is any form of comparison, and I'll, I'll go into that in a second, but it's like, you know, in, in, in the SPFL in Scotland, we've got a couple of teams that have plastic pitches. And there was a period of time where teams like Celtic or Rangers or other teams would really struggle on the plastic pitches because the players were used to playing on grass. In fact, Celtic actually had a, a player called Jozo Simunovic who couldn't actually play on plastic pitches because of a recurrent knee injury. And mm. whenever they get beat, they would come out and they would say, you know, this is unfair, this is unprofessional, this doesn't look good. Um, and it, it is just an, it is an excuse and it is an excuse because if you're good enough, you should be good enough to play on plastic pitches. And for a while, Livingston FC especially used advantage. Um, and they, actually, they, they turned it into a bit of a fortress for a while, to be honest. But that is probably the loosest comparison I can make because obviously <laughs> if you're playing at high altitudes and you're not normally used to it, if you've not been born and brought up there and you're just not used to training in it, then it's going to have an effect on your body as an athlete and as a person as well. So I can kind of understand that element of it, but also it is something that kind of makes it unique. And part of me is also like, it wouldn't be the same if they took that away. So I, I don't yeah. know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's an interesting one. Do you, know, do you know what I was trying to say? It gave them an identity. Yes, an identity that no other club kind of uh, had, you know, they were known as the club that played at a high altitude, you know, it gave them a kind of, a little bit of um, a little bit of character, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but um, I mean, look, it, it must have helped because they did make it to like the two thousand eight uh, Copa Libertadores, um, which they were knocked out by Mexican club Atlas. Only two on aggregate, and Atlas would have been a, quite a big club in Mexico at the time. Um, they also made it to two thousand nine. Um, uh, two thousand nine uh, Cup. Uh, where they were drawn against Paraguayan club, uh, Sierra Porteno, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, yeah. And they were uh, they, they, they were beaten uh, 2-1 and 2-0, so 4-1 on aggregate there. But they were obviously doing well in the, in the National League to get to the Libertadores Cup and stuff like that around the 2008-2009. So who are we to say if it did give them a, a, an edge in regards to high altitude and stuff like that. I personally, Roy, have never played a, a high altitude um, <laughs> like that. Uh, I can't say, I can't, I, I can't even tell you the highest altitude I've played. No, um, this, this is the thing. And it's that obviously, um, well, I don't know about you. I am, I am possibly the furthest thing from a professional athlete you can get. Um, yeah. So I have no idea of what kind of effect that would have on them i can only imagine because you know from even doing a little bit of hill walking that isn't a particularly high altitude it can take its toll on you so if you're playing all the way up there where you know the the, the you know if it's a higher altitude um i think it's a not a lack of air but you know what i'm trying to say 
um, yeah. it gets a bit more difficult. So I, I couldn't comment on that, obviously. But at the same time, I'm not from South America. I watch South American football really solely whenever Boca Juniors play. If 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 maybe I have a day off um, the day after it, and I'm up late enough to be watching it, so I don't really want. Uh, part of me is, although you know, I'm, I'm I'm saying this, and it gives them a bit of an identity and um, this that, and the next thing. It's it's not. I, I I don't feel that I can talk about it without maybe feeling like I'm I'm not insulting them a little bit, but you know, it's it's not my lane. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Uh, unless I suppose uh, you played at any type of high altitude, you probably can't really comment on it. Uh, if any of our listeners have ever played at high altitudes, um, or or anything like that, and we're not saying Bolivia, but uh, any anything like that, um, please do let us know and let, let us know the difficulties that maybe you had playing them, um, high altitude. Yep. Uh, it would, it would. Uh, to be honest, it's something that you know you don't really get to. Talk, you know, we talked about poor pitches and and you you've spoken about all oh, weathers and stuff like that, and that gets talked about. But high altitudes isn't really a thing that people talk about when when they're talking about stadiums. But it was there with La Paz and Bolivia, uh, Bolivian football uh, at the time. Um, as I said, they had moderate success uh, in 2008, 2009, Libertadores Cup, uh, getting knocked out by the Mexican side. Uh, Atlas, and then the next season, uh, the Paraguayan side. Um, but um, it, it, you know, they wouldn't be in this book, uh, Rory, if they didn't uh, find uh, trouble or uh, go into kind of a uh, demise. And unfortunately, uh, the writing was on the wall. Um, the 2011, 12, uh, around that 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 year, um, they just about survived relegation. Um, they had to play a kind of uh, relegation promotion playoff if you like uh, and they secured their, uh, the Bolivian Force Division um, so they, they, they kind of staved off a little bit but like most of the clubs in, in this book and, and the ones that we talk about in the podcast uh, it's kind of the inevitable is about to happen when you, when you hear that they're struggling uh, and then you hear of off-field uh, troubles, death start mounting up um, and it was only a matter of time before the pause uh, would struggle to hold on to their top flight status. Uh, and it didn't take long for them to be relegated after uh, that 2011-12 season where they just barely stayed up. Because the season after, in the promotion relegation playoff in 2012-13, the club found themselves finishing bottom of the table in both the opening and closing tournaments. Uh, so, therefore, they were automatically relegated because obviously the ranking would, would deem them to be the worst uh, team in Bolivia. Uh, in the Bolivian Premier League at the time. Um, it was the beginning of the end of La Paz, really, because uh, with relegation, financial difficulties occurred, uh, and they caught up with them. Um, their support dwindled, um, and, you know, once support starts going, the fans start disappearing, debts start rising even more. They can't really afford the debts anymore because no gate receipts. Um, and it was all too much for the club. And on the 24th of September... 2013, the club was dissolved, disappeared from Bolivian football, unable to compete even at lower levels of the pyramid. So it was quite, so you know, a dramatic, yeah, a, a sudden sudden demise, you know. There they are, 2008, 2009, playing the Libertadores Cup uh, against continental opponents. And then by the 24th September 2013, you know what, you're talking four or five years later, they're, they're gone. They're, they're yeah. just gone out of the Bolivian uh, pyramid. 
uh, which is quite yeah, it's quite quite a shame, uh, especially with a club like that. Um, yeah. I suppose like with 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 some of our other clubs and. I always come back to the example of Gretna, but sometimes you see these really, really sharp and sudden rises in teams where they absolutely rocket through the through the divisions in their their leagues. Um, they get to the top, they get to a cup final, or go on a European run, and then they go back down almost as quickly. But with La Paz, it, it, you know, it, it took them 14 years to get to the top flight, and from 2003, they they lasted there for another what was it, 13 years, another 10 years, something like that. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's not that it, not to say it's completely different, but it is a little bit in that they had a steady rise and then it was just a steady decline again, which always because with the other teams, if there's quite a sharp rise and a sharp fall, there's always some kind of context or some drama around it. Whereas this time, it just seems like it was all almost maybe natural and it's a bit sad yeah. actually, when you think about it. Yeah. It- it, it, like we talked about their owner being a bit eccentric and probably many people are probably thinking oh here we go again another crazy owner that kind of uh, you know just walked away or, or whatever but that that wasn't the case really here he was crazy because um because of his uh you know his determination of having a football club play on the top of a mountain <laughs> basically <laughs> and and he showed so much like I mean I was reading articles and all about that and he shows so much passion for it that you're kind of like this is a, a, a kind of weird obsession he has here uh, for it but uh, look I mean, fair play to him I mean he obviously he obviously did love the football club and and look he done the best but unfortunately as you said it, yeah it was a weird one in the past it seemed quite natural that they should just you know, get relegated, the support dwindled, and it was kind of like, well, that's it, really. Um, yeah. Another weird factor of it is, as, as you mentioned, it's rare that support like that uh, would dwindle in South American uh, football clubs. Uh, but obviously, um, maybe the fans just got sick of climbing up their mountains uh, <laughs> to go see their football club. Well, I, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it seems like there's maybe, it's maybe one of those stories where there's more to it. So, again... If there's anyone who knows a little bit more about uh, about La Paz FC or Bolivian football in general, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, please get in touch and, and let us a little bit mm. let us know a little bit more about that. But um, I just had a quick look while you were talking there, and obviously, if, I mean, if the guy's passionate about um, high altitude stadiums and, and playing on the the top of some of the highest mountains in the world, and fair play, absolutely love his passion. I love it when people defend these these sort of little niche interests and and passions that they have. But according to uh, Google. The uh, highest altitude football stadium in Europe is the Ottmar Hitzfeld Arena uh, in Switzerland. In, okay. in Switzerland in the village. Yeah. Gispon. Gispon. Um, yeah. Would that be in the Alps? Yes. So it's in the Swiss Alps. Um, but it's in yeah. the the team that plays in it um, is an amateur level team. So I uh, don't think we'll be taking any European trips there with our own teams anytime soon. But it'd be kind of cool to see them play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I always, I, I think I knew that uh, because I remember when I was researching and uh, the paths were. Uh, I think I looked up uh, other high altitudes and stuff like that. And I remember, yeah, there was a Switzerland club there in the Alps that that played there. Um, it'd be interesting to know if there was any football clubs training in Mount Everest. Um, maybe we should look into that. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do a, I'll do a quick search. Um, do a quick search, there, Rory. Um, I mean, what uh, Nepal? Uh, yeah, well, there's that's the, the, that's the so the well here you go. So if you ever decide to do a, a volume two, hint hint, 
Um, there, there is a team mentioned here called Mount Everest Nepal, uh, and they were a, a, a Paulian Association football club which competed in their soccer league. Um, their inaugural season was in 2004, and they finished runners-up. Um, there's not an awful lot else about them. I think the records are a little bit fragmented from what I can see. Their ground was the PCC Track and Field Stadium, um, which is in Palau, uh, part of the Palauan government. Um, I'm just having a quick look here. Palau. Right, I see. Okay, I've been I've been done an absolute belly here. This uh, this state this team Mount Everest Nepal. <laughs> uh, they they play absolutely nowhere near Mount Everest. They play in um, <laughs> they play in the Palau Soccer League, um, which as far as I can see on a map uh, looks like an Indonesian island. So I'm going to move swiftly on from that absolute. <laughs> we will look into that for you. We'll report back in your second book. There was me thinking I was being really clever as well. <laughs> yeah, we're not editing that open way, Rory. We're keeping that one in for our fans. Great, and uh, followers to have a little giggle at. Uh, even oh. even me and Rory aren't um, aren't uh, um, what would be the word? Uh, you know, we can make mistakes as well. Um, we're we're human. We're human. <laughs> we're only um, but uh, human. look, yeah, it, it's an interesting take. Uh, maybe as we said, uh, some of our followers can uh, tell us some high altitude uh, stadiums. I'm sure they're out there. Uh, definitely. Just before before we move on, one thing that I wanted to know was, obviously, I'm quite cautious using the term one-team cities because often there are are a lot of clubs in various cities at different levels. And I know it kind of only specifically applies to clubs within uh, mainly the top division, so that there's derbies quite often, but at least within one, maybe two divisions of each other. are there other teams in La Paz to kind of match Bolivar now, or uh, have they has has none ever been formed after the demise of of La Paz FC? Uh, in La Paz, well, I mean, Bolivar are as we said shared the stadium um, with with uh, La Paz, so they would have been their biggest rivals mm. um, in that regard. Now, obviously, as we said, La Paz never kind of uh, um, never reached the kind of the heights of that, if you know what I mean. Mm. So, I mean, football clubs there. To be honest, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I think there is. There, there, there was another football club called La Paz, but they weren't from La Paz. Uh, they were from Mexico, uh, yeah. as far as my research uh, came up. And I, I nearly did uh, actually do them, but they actually are another forgotten club. Funny enough. Um, but in Bolivar, I mean, there's a lot, there's, there's, there's plenty of rivalries in Bolivian football uh, that Bolivar have. So there's the the weirdly named the strongest. Um, they're they're one of the football clubs there. Okay. Uh, Real, uh, uh, San Jose, um, Real. Uh, now I don't know if I'm pronouncing this properly. <laughs> I could sound like a, a bit of an idiot here, but Real Potato, um, as well. Uh, it does sound. Like potato, I know, but um, so there, there was plenty of big clubs in Bolivia, um, but in regards in regards to a kind of um derby, La Paz Bolivar, as far as I know, it, it was the big one. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as I can, but, but, as, as far as I can see here, it looks like I, th- I think the strongest play in uh, playing La Paz. So I'm going to presume the their derby would be with Bolivar in that case. Yeah. So club the strongest is a Bolivian professional mm. football club based in La Paz. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing they they would be their main rivals now. But again. If there's anyone who knows a little bit more about Bolivian football than we do, then please let us know because it would be be fascinating to know. Yeah, that. I mean, Bolivia are, are, are the most successful team in Bolivia. Yes, uh, absolutely. The strongest are, the strongest are uh, again, probably their, their biggest rivals. Uh, I think they have about nine titles. Um, where um, in this, uh, oh, see, again, the title thing is a bit weird because... They have nine titles, but then they have like fourteen La Paz championships. Um, so sure. you know it, it's kind of whatever way you look at it, um, how many trophies they have. There are other clubs. Um, La Paz obviously were one of them. There was Deportivo Municipal. Uh, there was Petro- uh, Petroliero. Uh, again, I could be butchering all these um, um names. Deportivo Zuraca. Uh, another club from uh, the La Paz area, uh, Deportivo Ferreiro, um, Deportivo Don Bosco, um, you know, you can uh, Boliviano. Uh, there's loads of clubs there. Uh, La Paz is only a city of one million of a population. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's not like, you know, there's, there's fierce derbies going on there with hundreds of thousands. Uh, uh, attending, but no, the big one there, uh, Rory, you're dead right. Bolivar and the strongest would be would be that the big derby there now. Okay, well that, that that's good to know. At least it's it's still a two team and I'm only team side at the very least. Um, obviously just a shame they couldn't really get a, I suppose a, a, a third challenger in there. But I'm sure, um, I'm sure if well La Paz FC were there, they would have uh, they would have enjoyed trying to. Trying to wedge between them, I suppose, if you like. But um, yeah, I mean, if if there's, as I said, if there's any people who knows a little bit more about football in Bolivia, please get in touch with us. Or even if you supported La Paz FC yourself, um, it would be great to speak to you and and kind of hear your thoughts on things. We could um, we could always write up a blog post or do a do a follow up podcast with interviews or, or something along those lines. If someone did get in touch. Mm-hmm. But uh, we are going to now swing to basically the other side of the world here. It depends. Yeah. yeah I suppose you can, go, you, you can go left, you can go right. Uh, maybe left across the Pacific is probably a shorter journey. Um, and we're going to go to the land down under uh, for the first time. Uh, two clubs in the book come from Australia. Uh, one will feature uh, in the podcast later on, and we might have a special guest for that. But the one that we're going to do today is, Rory, so the one that we are going to do today is Northwest Sydney Spirit FC is there listed in the book, um, who were the successor club, if you like, to a team called Northern Spirit FC, um, who went defunct and then Northwest Spirit kind of rose off the back of that, if you like. So I believe in in the book it's, it starts off with the history of Northern Spirit and then goes through. Um, you know, their kind of activities, their demise, and it, it, it talks a little bit about the formation of Northwest Sydney um, mm. FC because they, they kind of had a couple of name changes. But just to remove all doubt before I, I start talking about them, Northwest Sydney Spirit FC are still a current football yeah, club indeed, in yeah. Australia. So they are a current um, soccer club. So 
but they were founded as Northern Spirit FC uh, and they folded in 2004. So we'll be talking mainly about them, but then we'll go on to discuss some of the other stuff um, about them as well. But Northwest Sydney Spirit FC, they currently play in the National Premier League New South Wales, I think NSW stands for, I'm going to assume. Yeah. Um, so I think Australian football, yeah. 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 Australian football again has a funny league format history uh, that is quite confusing. Um, and it, it was interesting to research, but uh, it, it, it does, it kind of feels a bit like the kind of early American soccer days, the NASL, yeah, where they're it's... trying to get feelers and they're trying to get something kind of going. It's, it's similar, yeah. So basically, at this point in time in Australia, you had the National Soccer League, uh, which began in 1977 and and ended in 2004 when things got reorganised a little bit and and they shuffled the deck, so to speak. But uh, the National Soccer League was a top-level league for soccer in Australia. Um, It was run by their soccer association, as it's called, because obviously they have... um, they, they, they like rugby football in Australia. They like American football. They have Aussie rules football as well. So it gets referred to as soccer. Um, but the NASL, the National Soccer League, was basically the A-League's predecessor. Um, and it ran for 28 seasons in total. Uh, and then that's when the A-League came into things. But there was during the history of the NASL, there was a total of 42 teams that actually contested it, which is huge when you think about it. Um, mm. And then in 1984, they split it into two conferences, Northern and Southern, um, so they could bring petitions. So you could argue whether it was to make things a little bit easier or just to expand the league. But obviously, if you've got this top tier of football where there's 42 teams in it and then the rest are sort of regional championships or kind of state teams and state leagues, it seems very, very chaotic to me anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, it's still a little bit like that now, uh, ex- with the exception of the A-League, which is kind of flattened out and now become a real kind of uh, a decent league, to be fair. But um, yeah, back then, yeah. it was it was very, very uh, uh, chaotic. No, the, 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 A-League is, the A-League is good quality and it's getting better. I say that because, and, and again, it's just more prejudices because for two reasons. One, um, well, former Scotland international now, Jason Cummins, um, went to Australia. I think he plays for Central Coast Mariners. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but he went over there after he, he was playing at Dundee and he'd been at Hibs and he'd been at Rangers. Um, yeah, he plays for Central Coast Mariners. Um, generally regarded as a bit of a a middling footballer in, in Scotland, shall we say. He, he wasn't very good at times and he's absolutely lighting up the A-League. So, you know, people over here are kind of like, well, the quality can't, that, you know, it can't be that good. And it's like, well, you know, maybe it's just a purple patch. In the same season, um, Dundee United signed an Australian international goalkeeper uh, called Mark Berrigetti. Now, I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard of him before, Phil, but, you know, if, if I say Dundee United... Obviously, historically, one of the bigger teams in Scotland, but at the moment, going through a, a, a pretty rough time. Yeah. Um, have signed an Australian international keeper who was actually at the, as far as I'm aware, it was at the, the last World Cup, and if not, the, the round of international fixtures before it. What, what would you think of that? What would you say, just based on that information? Uh, I would say, you know, Australian goalkeepers have, have generally done well. I mean, you think of Mark Bosnich, uh, um, what's his name, Mark uh, Swarter. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I, I would say 
he was probably all right, was he? You're going to tell me he's not, though. <laughs> he, is. he is, without a doubt, one of the worst goalkeepers I have ever seen. <laughs> um, and I don't know... I don't know what that speaks to the quality of Australian goalkeepers in the A League, but no, I'm not. I'm not trying to slag off the A League. I know that it is. Uh, it has got some decent quality, and it is getting better. I mean, it can only get better, but my God, from some of the th- some of the things that I've seen from it this season with Jason Cummins and Mark Barrighetti, it's um, it throws it into question. Anyway, sorry for going off on that tangent. Back on to um, back on Australian football. So, yeah, so the, you, you had this thing called the National Soccer League, and that is where um, that is where Northwest Sydney Spirit FC played. They played in the NSL. Um, they were founded in 1997, as I said, as Northern Spirit. So they started off just towards the tail end of last century playing in the NSL, um, and they managed to reach the finals in their first attempt, which is pretty impressive. Um, the finals being mm-hmm. the, the, the sort of championship format tournament. And again, this is sort of similar to, to the MLS and the American Soccer League, where towards the end of the season, the teams towards the top would get split up into was that kind of round robin or a, a knockout. I can't remember which one, but basically they would play each other and then the winner of that final tournament would get decided as, as the champions. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they managed to reach the finals in their first attempt. Um, which is good going, but they, I suppose it was it was kind of an early rise and they weren't as successful after that. In fact, in the next two seasons, uh, the club finished 13th in both of them, um, which is a bit disappointing. So, didn't manage to reach the heights again, didn't manage to repeat the feat of the first season, but they managed to recover um, and they finished mid-table um, in the last three seasons, but they only managed to make the finals once more in the 2002-2003 season. Now, mm. What's interesting about Northwest, or sorry, I keep getting mixed up here. What's a bit different about Northern Spirit FC isn't so much about their life as Northern Spirit as opposed to the the different types of things that were happening in and around the club. Um, now, association football in Australia at this point had been played for a very long time, so I'm I'm not going to say that it was in its infancy, but yeah. it still, it was it wasn't amateur. It was it wasn't necessarily semi professional either, but it, it certainly wasn't to the heights that it was now. In fact, it was pretty far off that still and pretty far off a lot of other leagues in the world. It was getting there and it was building itself up to be something to obviously to be the A-League, but it certainly wasn't anywhere near that stage at this point. Um, So you had a couple kind of going on in the background, I suppose. So to start off with, the Northern Spirit's first season, <clears throat> the Crystal Palace owner at the time, Mark Goldberg, bought a 31% stake in the club. And he secured an option to take on a further 35% of that. So obviously, it's 31% to start off with, which is just under a third, um, yeah. with the potential of taking that up to over two thirds. So that's a huge stake that he's putting in that. Um, he was kind of being marred by financial problems at Crystal Palace at that time. Uh, so he relinquished that option to a group of players and coaches, which, well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guess actually, for which players and coaches do you think he, he left it to? Obviously, then at that point in in their first season, so nineteen ninety seven, so I would have been uh, one years old, so I I couldn't possibly know who it could be. So why why don't you tell us? What year was it? Nineteen ninety seven. Nineteen ninety seven when they were formed as Northern Spirits. So uh, in their first season. Um, I can't actually remember. Uh, <laughs> I do know. I do know that. Uh, um. 
it wasn't Mark. No, not Mark Wright, was it? No, no, I Mark Wright. Uh, I can't remember the players. I have. I, I always want to write about it as well. <laughs> uh, I can't remember. I do remember. I do remember who took over after that. Um, but I don't yes. remember the, the actual players. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah. So he left it to this little quarter player. So he left it to Graham Arnold, Robbie Slayer, and Ian Crook. That rings. Uh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and they sort of took over in, in his stead, I suppose, and started running the club. So that happened, <laughs> which was interesting. But what made them stand yeah. out for me, because this this is something that I didn't actually know. And I've actually yeah. spoken to a number of my friends who are supporters of, of the team I'm about to mention. Um, and they, they weren't aware of it either. But the club then ended up becoming owned by Rangers for a small period yeah. of time. And yeah, and this Rangers... is why I picked them out, because when I was doing... Uh research and I wanted to pick out uh, two clubs from Australia uh, and I came across this little yeah this little fact basically uh, and it's probably why I don't remember the, the group of players that you talked about because I got so embroiled uh, in the fact that Rangers football club from Scotland had inqu- uh, had acquired uh, Northern Spirit well the, yeah this, this is a thing and, and this is what this is what made it really interesting for me because Obviously, so there's a couple of things that I'll go into. So first of all, and I've tried to do a bit more research on it, and and there's there's not a huge amount that I can find about it mm. online. So no. again, if there's any listeners out there, please get in touch and and, and let us know if you know anything further. Um, but it's uh, obviously you know you've got Brentford's owner. I can't remember the chap's name, but obviously he owns Brentford, and as far as I'm aware, he owns FC um, Mitchelland from Denmark as yeah. well. And obviously you've got, you know, Dermot Desmond of Celtic, who um, is the, the, the chairman of Celtic, and he owns Shamrock Rovers too. But what what I wanted to find out was whether it was, at the time, I think it would have been, can't remember if it would have been Murray or King, who was the owner of Rangers at that point, but whether it was them that then bought Northern Spirit or if it was Rangers, the club that bought Northern Spirit. That's what I wanted to find out because that, that would be really, really interesting, I think, uh, I don't know if I've if I've ever come across anything like that in it, football before. Yeah, it, it's a story that when when I when I found out about it, I, I turned around and I was like, that can't be right. Nobody oh. ever talked about this. Why why does yes. why is nobody ever talked about Rangers owning an Australian football club? Exactly. It, it's, it, it's something you, you that have, you think would be brought up. It's you like know? I get that you can have affiliate teams and you can have relationships yeah. with other teams. There's loan deals and stuff coming and going. Um, but for one football club to own another football club, that to me was just that that was that was incredible. So that that's something that I really want to to know more about. But it also it makes a bit of sense because I know just from a, a business perspective, obviously teams are looking to break into emerging markets, and I suppose at that point in time. Uh, football in Australia would have been somewhat of an emerging market, so maybe Rangers mm. were looking to branch out in that sense. But also, there's a huge Scottish diaspora in Australia, as there is Irish and uh, yeah. English and British in general. Um, and as you know, with the the diaspora fans of football clubs, they often become a lot more passionate. And you know, there's there's, there's Rangers and Celtic supporters clubs throughout the world. Um, and as Australia is no different. In fact, there's there's probably even more in Australia because of the 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 British connection, I suppose. Yeah. So I would 
I would probably hedge a good bet that Rangers were Rangers are looking to tap into that that sort of diaspora market. market, if you like, which is really, really, really clever. Um, and it's not often you'll get me saying that about Rangers, trust me. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it it seemed quite quite a clever thing. And also, as well, what was interesting is they actually temporarily changed the 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 club's home colours um, to the colours of Rangers yeah. loyal blue. So I think it was actually. Yeah, yeah, this is a serious takeover. This isn't like, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're taking over for a month or two, taking one of your players and, you know, or whatever. Rangers were trying to, it was like they were trying to turn a, 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 a club into a mini Rangers, uh, which you'll actually find is actually a little bit more common uh, than, you, than you think, uh, Rory, if you, you read a few more stories in the book. Um, but we'll leave that uh, for, for another club that features in the book. Um, but yeah, go on. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's just something that I found interesting. Now, again, Rangers owned them for a small period of time. Um, it's, it's, it's weird because there's the, the sort of conflicting details on it, and I, I'm, I'm not sure if it was maybe something that they got into and then decided they, they didn't want anything to do with anymore. Um, but they were, as far as I'm aware, they, they, they weren't owners of them for very, very long. Um, I, think, no. I think it was maybe a year, maybe not even. Yeah. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what happened there, but I'll tell you. I will. I will find out. I will find out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they were owned by uh, this this cohort of players and managers from uh, Crystal Palace. Uh, they were later owned by Rangers. So I think it would be fair to say if they were actively looking for, well, maybe not looking for owners, but if they were actively allowing these people to start buying shares in their clubs to try and change things and giving them so much power, it would be fair to say that they were probably facing some kind of difficulty in terms of their finances or how things are going. Yeah, definitely. I think um, when you're looking for outside investment like that, uh, especially from that far away, um, it does sound or it does uh, smell like desperation, really, doesn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely, definitely. Um, sorry, I'm I'm just seeing there that Erling Haaland has scored his 45th goal of the season, so that's uh, that's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, it it does seem quite desperate, and it does seem like there's something that's going badly wrong behind the scenes, and that that would prove to be the case, um, because in 2004. The, the club known as Northern Spirit folded. Um, so they didn't even, they, they, I think it was just under seven years they managed to last. Um, yeah, around that, in, in our many guises. Yeah, exactly. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's a very, very short life. It's a very short life. And they did sort of change their name at one point. They changed it to uh, Glads, Gladsville Hornsby Football Association. Um because once Northern Spirit had actually folded, the Gransville, the, the Gladsville Hornsby Football Association then took their youth teams, who were nicknamed Spirit FC, um, and took them on, which I found quite interesting as well. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 there's quite a lot of things going on with this. And it's at that point as well, once the youth team goes... Um, in, uh, in 2004, Northwest Sydney Spirit FC are founded um so you know there's 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 quite a lot going on with this wee club wouldn't you say yeah definitely i mean uh i suppose northern western sydney spirit is is a bit of a mouthful as well um so i suppose it, it, it it's eps that um 
you know, that there's a lot going on with this club, uh, a club that is very hard to kind of say in one in one go as well. Um, they had many owners. Uh, they, it, it, I thought for me the reason why I picked them. Well, one of the reasons was the Rangers story that uh, you know I'd, I'd love to get more information on. Uh, the other one was it kind of epitomised kind of Australian football uh, for me at that period, uh, where there was a lot of a lot of you know, not just the uh, Northern Spirit. There was a lot of changing of ownerships. There was a lot of looking for investment. Uh, Australian football at the time, uh, for me, looking from the outside of my research, and uh, now it could be correct, uh, corrected by somebody who knows more about Australian football history or soccer history, um, it just felt like they were trying to look outwards more than inwards. They weren't prepared to kind of, you know, set up academies and, and, and work from you know, the ground up. They wanted a kind of quick fix, a quick uh, kind of franchise league that people would just latch on to. And by doing that, they were trying to get outside uh, investors and uh, Northern Northern Spirit or Northern Western Sydney uh, Spirit, um, they kind of epitomised that for me. And that that's why I selected them. Now, there is another uh, club that featured in the book from Australia, which we will uh, have on the podcast and hopefully we will have an Australian uh, expert on soccer expert on to, to let us know a little bit more um, about it um, yeah, but that's they're, just they're, how it felt to me Yeah, their story the, the other Australian team, their story is a little bit different but we won't go into that um, at the moment mm. so we can save it for that episode but Angus, I, I, I think you're right because obviously with the introduction of the A-League there, there is a lot of similarities to the MLS, particularly as regards, uh, you know, sponsorship, finance, and the money involved in it as well. And that they want to make it quite commercialised, and you can see that a lot of the time in the stadiums. Now, at the time, Northern Spirit SC were around. They were played at the North Sydney Oval, um, and but well, what was actually quite interesting though is the the North Sydney Oval. Um, it's been redeveloped quite a number of times, but the capacity is around sixteen thousand. Okay, so it's pretty right. reasonable. I mean, that's bigger than bigger than Bournemouth Stadium, um, just to kind of give it a comparison. But for the very first league home game, which they won against Sydney Olympic, it attracted a record record Australian club soccer, um, yeah, crowd for a non-finals match, uh, and it was just under nineteen thousand. So that's that's pretty impressive. Um, but and that record wasn't broken until two thousand and five, and it was by Queensland Roar. So, the the support was obviously there, but what I mean, and and again, I'm I'm no expert on Australian football, and I'm I'm certainly no expert on um on Northern Spirit or Northwest Sydney Spirit, but I know that a lot of teams in Australia were founded by um migrant and diaspora communities. So you have um yeah, you have there's some a lot of a lot of that. Yeah, the, like Croatian clubs, um, there would have been Irish clubs, uh-huh. there would have been uh, Jewish clubs, there would have been English clubs, yeah, uh, there would exactly. have been you know a, a host of that sort of uh, uh, stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Australian and he played for the, the Greek club in Australia, for instance, yeah, Greek, yeah, yeah. So, there, there was a lot of that going on, and there's a lot of them clubs that could have fig- uh, featured uh, in Forgotten Football Clubs. Um, that you know they just disbanded because, um, you know for whatever reason the migrants went home or they they couldn't afford to do it anymore. And uh, there was a lot of that, and there there still is a lot of that. Um, there actually was uh, a football club in uh, Australia called Shamrock Rovers, 
uh, had the exact same uh, uh, crest as Shamrock Rovers from Ireland, uh, the Republic of Ireland and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, there was an awful lot of that. But uh, Northern Spirit or Northern West Sydney Spirit uh, were kind of like, a, they were a standalone side, to be fair. Um, they, as, as you said as well, they, they're still going on. They're not, they're not defunct as such, uh, and they still are going on. They have been, as you said, taken over by uh, the um, what would you call the Hornby, uh, the Hornby kind of football club. The, the, yeah, the, um, the, um, the Gladsville, uh, Gladsville, Gladsville, pardon me. Yeah, Horn, Gladsville, Hornsby, pardon me. Um, so they are still around, um, but it's just Australian soccer. As I said, it, 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 the A League now. People kind of know it. Uh, it is a it is a decent kind of a brand, if you like. Now, but back then, Australian soccer, it it just felt like it didn't know what it was, and it was kind of trying to get outside influences and stuff like that, and it just didn't work. And unfortunately for Northern Spirit or Northern, uh, we'll, we'll just say Northern Spirit, uh, it just <laughs> it, it just didn't work. Yeah, that's the thing, and, and and that's what I was gonna say. It's obviously it's this this isn't a, a generalization of all clubs anywhere or, or in Australia, but you know when you have this kind of migrant aspect to it, it gives the club a bit more of an identity and a bit more of a cause. And if people yeah. are playing for them because they want to have fun because they enjoy the game, then it's always gonna last a little bit longer than if people are playing it with the purpose of it becoming some kind of big franchise or becoming the next big thing because. It's almost like even though you're giving it this back in and you're sending it out to do something big, it's already very ambitious. And if you're doing it without the, the, the kind of initial backing or the initial identity or other reasons behind it, then it can very quickly fall flat on, on its face. Now, obviously, it doesn't seem like that was the case in, in the initial... Um, in the they managed to attract a, a crowd of twenty thousand to one of the games. That was obviously... That's obviously very, um, very impressive, but... You know, obviously, whatever happened between them, if they're constantly attracting investors and stuff like that, then 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 fans are just gonna fans are just gonna up and weave, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. It, it there was kind of a lack of identity and stuff like that. A lack of, uh, I mean, if you don't have a permanent uh, ownership there, uh, there's no real permanent plan or a long term plan, really. Uh, if you're if you're like as we said, Rangers uh, football club or whatever guys. Was uh, in charge of uh, of Northern Spirit at the time. Uh, we're only there for a year. How can you how can you plan long term if uh, the ownership is only there for a year? Like whatever about managers moving on. If owners owners are moving around uh, that quickly, um, you know it, it it doesn't it doesn't sound good. Yeah, no, d- definitely. And well, I mean, I, I suppose I guess Northwest Sydney Spirit will will consider themselves quite lucky that they weren't still owned by Rangers, particularly around twenty twelve, um, because then you know that, that would have been absolutely disastrous. Um, but you know, it's as as you said earlier on, it seemed like it was quite desperate. And although there's there's maybe a bit of a lack of information on them, I think we can probably guess that if they're trying to become something they're not, if they're trying to become the big money team, and they're just constantly looking for people to come and buy them over, and they're willing to accept it from literally anyone. Um, then you know it's you're kind of destined to fail from that point, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, look, the two clubs that we covered here today on the podcast aren't exactly two clubs that lit the world of football alight. Um, but they, they, and there's a few clubs in the book like that, but they're there for a reason. Uh, in in the book because they they're you know they 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 tell a story that some 
clubs just don't. Uh, yeah. and and it's and it's not a story of glories uh, because there are other clubs in the book that you know have won trophies as we've already talked about on the podcast that have won trophies and have gone bust themselves so these two clubs uh, La Paz and Northern West Sydney Spirit are two clubs that are very different um, but and, and quite mundane in, in a way uh, so we do apologise for that 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 hasn't been the sparks of like uh, FC Joker or CF Reyes uh, that, that we've had previously on. Um, but there's still two football clubs that tell their stories that they are um, there in history of football and 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 they're there for a reason. Um, yeah, this is the thing. I mean, we obviously it all started with yourself and you know, you could have written or we could sit here and we could talk about Third Lanark and we could talk about Gretna and we could talk about Belfast Celtic and we could talk about all of these other teams that have went defunct that, to be to be completely honest, and, and, and those clubs are, are interested in themselves, don't get me wrong, and I'm not trying to say that they're not, but there's already so much work done on them by... Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say better work, but there's already been so much research and, and debate done on, on them by a lot of other people who are, are far more experienced in, in that field than ourselves. And we'd highly recommend that you go out and read it. So it's nice to give the other clubs a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a spotlight to try and to try and highlight it, because as we'll find these these clubs like Third Lanark and Gretna and whoever else went isolated. There's clubs around the world that this happens to all the time, but also there's there's more interesting stories out there and there's similarities as well and that's what makes it interesting is that it, it can be any club from any country it doesn't matter where they're from or what's going on with them it can happen to a club of any size and and and, I think, I, and I think that's, that's the why, point yeah yeah exactly and and, and this is this is why I, I always say that forgotten football clubs the name is just a name it's not literally you know <laughs> we're not picking out forgotten clubs but maybe in this case we have uh, picked out two football clubs here that, you know, probably many people have forgotten. Like you said, Rory, Rangers fans that you know, uh, nobody knew about that, uh, that they bought that club. La Paz, I went looking for interviews and stuff like that, and nobody came forward about about them, um, to be interviewed about them. So in that regard, maybe we have two genuine for, uh, forgotten football clubs here. Maybe, maybe. I mean, it's, it's that that's the thing, though, and, and you're absolutely right. It's when, when we say forgotten clubs, we don't mean the clubs have literally been forgotten about and then we've all of a sudden, you know, uncovered them, um, like some mad Indiana Jones thing or something. What we mean, <laughs> obviously, it's about drawing out the, the, the common themes between all the clubs that we have and that even though, you know, they're not forgotten, but when we talk about these teams, they bring out feelings of nostalgia for fans. There's memories attached to them. There's memorabilia attached to them. I mean, there was real people that were involved in them. And I think, you know, I think we'd do well to remember that. And that even though we're saying forgotten, they aren't actually forgotten. And what we mean is this sort of family of football clubs that that just by hearing their name, it talks about the different things that they'd done before they became something else or before they folded or before they merged or something along those lines. But also to show that there's other teams that it's happened to and, and the, you know, to, to, to maybe go a little bit off the beaten track and, and find interesting stories elsewhere as well, which which I think is great. So. Yeah, uh, little gems like, as I said, that, uh, playing at the highest altitude in the world, 
uh, and uh, being owned by Rangers Football Club. Uh, they're the little gems that I love uh, reading about <laughs> uh, and researching, and I hope people do. Well, people have come back and, and said they love uh, reading about stuff like that. So they're the reasons why uh, these two clubs feature in the book. And look, they'll never be forgotten. But uh, look, in saying that, this is one of the longest episodes we've had. Uh, so we obviously, <laughs> we obviously were able to talk about La Paz and Northern Spirit uh, uh, quite a bit. But um, look, we're going to end uh, episode seven on that note. Um, as I said, uh, if, uh, and as Rory said, if anybody knows anything more about these two clubs, please get in contact with us uh, and let us know uh, uh, anything else uh, about high altitude stadiums or maybe even if Rangers FC went around buying other football clubs that we don't know, uh, maybe you can let us know there. But uh, that's it from us here at episode seven. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show and I uh, hope you listen in to the next one. Thank you, Rory. Yep, it's past my bedtime. Good night, everybody. Good night.